You can have a seat. One more time, can we just say thanks to Brian for coming over and leading us in worship. So, okay, let's be honest. How many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? Anybody? All right, a few of you. The rest of you are just too shy, embarrassed, I don't know, something to admit it. Okay, but if you raised your hand or if you didn't but you want to be honest now, how many of you on the 13th day of the New Year have already broken at least one of your New Year's resolutions? If I had made any New Year's resolutions, this would be my confession time to say I probably would have broken all of them by now. But, but we know New Year's resolutions at the heart are, are ways that we say, as I look forward to the next 12 months, I could see myself, or I would like to see myself doing, I would like to see myself in the next 12 months get healthier. So I would like to see myself eating better, right, and exercising. Like if I could do both of them at the same time for a period of time, that would be ideal, but I would like to see my life look like this. Or I would like to see myself spend more time with loved ones in the next 12 months. Or I would like to see my finances improve, particularly my wallet. That would be nice if there was actually something in it to use. I'd like to see myself in a better financial position. These kind of things where we look and we say, there's just some visions, some dreams, some plans I have for my life. Now some of us, We're frustrated in doing something like that because we know that even though we can make plans and we can try to foresee events in our life, we know that also life happens to us. And things out of our control, circumstances happen, and and we can't even make plans to cover those. So in a time like talking about New Year's resolutions, we're frustrated because the future is unclear. It's cloudy, it's dark, and so there's almost this, what's the use in even trying to forecast ahead for my life I don't see anything Uh, four years ago or so my wife and I we were living in Arizona we decided to take a vacation everyone said you've got to go see the Grand Canyon neither of us had been there and so over and over and over and over and over again we're told you've got to see the Grand Canyon it is amazing it'll blow your mind away it's like the 15th wonder of the world you have to go see the Grand Canyon so we hop in the car Make, we're making plans, and we hop in the car one day, and we start driving north to get there. And so the further we go and the longer we're on the road, there's a little bit of a mist that turns into a bit of a drizzle, and the closer we get there, it turns into showers, and as we're approaching, it's just downpour. And so by the time we get to the sign that says, Welcome to the, ground, the Grand Canyon, you can see about 10 feet in front of your face. We're like, we think we're at the Grand Canyon. We don't really know. It looks cloudy. It looks foggy. We're sort of socked in. So, but we follow the signs and we follow the other cars. And finally we get to a place where cars are parking and people are getting out. And we think, this must be it. So let's park our car and let's get out and let's walk. So we're walking with a herd of people and the trail's wide and then eventually it narrows a little bit. And then you get to a rail. And I'm holding onto this rail and I'm looking around and I'm like, there it is. Clouds. Clouds. Wow, we drove all this way to see clouds. Isn't it gorgeous? It's amazing. So people start funneling to another place, and so we follow them. We get to a trail, and it it gets narrow and narrow and narrow, and we get up to a rail, and I'm holding onto the rail, and I'm like, there it is. More clouds. More clouds. Look at those clouds. Wow, we could have stayed at home. So we're sitting there debating, okay, do we just sit around and wait a while? Do we go get in the car and drive home? Do we throw up our hands? This failed experiment. Grand Canyon wasn't all that great. It looked a little foggy to me. What do we do? 
And so as we're standing there, a tiny, tiny, tiny break in the clouds appear. And I'm like, did you see that? I mean, you can see like through these clouds somehow a long ways. And Holly was like, yeah, I think I saw something. So we stand there a little bit longer. And another break in the clouds come. Did you see that? She's like, yeah, I saw that. It's amazing, isn't it? And, and so there's like clouds that are just passing by us. And occasionally we would get a little bit of a glimpse. And then all of a sudden, just as if God's hand came and took the clouds away, the last cloud came through and it was like, and as that cloud came through, you could see everything. And it was majestic and it was spectacular. And I realized the rail that I was holding onto, staring at the clouds, was keeping me from a thousand foot cliff drop off. And all of a sudden we're jumping back. Going, that is pretty, but let's stay back here a little bit because we don't want to get too close. But it was right there in front of us. But it took a while for us to see, for things to, to move. About 10 months ago, I stood on this stage for the very first time, or I, actually, I sat on this stage for the very first time, and we met each other. And I, actually, that's not right. You met me. You grilled me, and you asked all these questions about me, and I'm sitting here hanging on for dear life. Please don't ask a question that's too hard. But a number of the questions that you asked me were things like this. What, what's your vision for such and such a ministry? Do you, anybody remember that? Okay, it was a fun night. Uh, other questions came and they're like, okay, what are your plans? Like, what do you see for Hillside if you were to be the new pastor? And with all the wisdom I could muster up and all the intelligence and bringing all of my experience to the table, I said this, I don't know. And you guys were amazed and you made me your new pastor. Thank you very much. It's worked out well. And some eight months ago, when, when I sort of started and began to understand who Hillside is and began to spend time with many of you and talking about the past and talking about the present and, and dreaming a little bit about the future, the clouds were still there. But occasionally the clouds would part and you could see a little bit and say, okay, I, I see something and I've had an amazing time and sitting down for months and months and months with staff and talking and dreaming and planning and sitting down with our board and talking about who are we supposed to be? What does God want us to be as a church and a light to this community and to the world and all of those kind of things? But, but a lot of times there's just clouds and we're trying to see through. But then there's certain times where we just get a peek, we get a glimpse. And we're like, oh, that's crystal clear. And so are there are some things that as we begin a new year and as a church and as we're dreaming and, and as individuals, because we're not just a, a bunch of people who are a church, we're also individuals, we're families, we're husbands, wives, children, we're brothers and sisters, all those kind of things. Sometimes we get a glimpse and it's as if God says, this is what I have for you. And although there's still other clouds that are remaining, there's some little things that we can see crystal clear. So for the next six weeks, starting today, we're going to take a journey through the book of Mark. And it's going to correspond with this, who is this man study. So hopefully many of you will be reading in this book, who is this man. You'll be in, in classes talking about it. But we're also going to go chapters by chapters by chapters through the, the gospel of Mark and talk about who is it that, that God is calling us to be? Who is it that this Jesus is that changes everything around us? And some things that we can see crystal clear I pray God would begin to call us 
to follow after him, to call us to walk in a new way, to call us in this new year to experience him and the life he has created us for like never before. If you have a Bible, take, turn to Mark chapter 1. I'll spend a lot more time introducing the gospel of Mark next week. So this is like the introduction to the introduction. We're just going to get started. We're going to jump in. But, but what you'll know in the book of Mark is the book of Mark is action-oriented. In, in our Bible, in the New Testament, to begin the New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different stories, four different accounts of Jesus. John is the one that's like deeper. It's the one that's more theological. It's the one that tells us who Jesus is and those kind of great things. Matthew and Luke they have all of these teachings, these prolonged teachings where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount and all those great and amazing passages. Mark is more an action-oriented gospel. Mark is like the newspaper report of the story. He's not going into a lot of details. Forty times in the gospel of Mark, he tells a story and then he says this word, immediately. So immediately Jesus is going over here and immediately Jesus is going over here. So we get the flow, the action of Jesus' life and what's going on. So then in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, we read this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. So stop there for just a second. There's a context. There's a story that's going on. After John was put in prison, this is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, his whole entire message, do you remember what it was? It was basically this, get ready. Get ready. His whole entire message was prepare for Jesus. Prepare for the Messiah. Prepare because someone is coming after me. John's whole message was, get ready. So now John, after he is put in prison, Jesus steps on the scene. Jesus comes forward and his ministry begins. So Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The good news of God, the gospel. We spent a lot of time at Christmas talking about this. This good news for great joy for all the people. The greatest news that has ever been heard. This is what Jesus comes to do. He comes proclaiming or preaching. Declaring this message of the good news of God. Verse 15. Here's what Jesus says. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what is this message? The message is Christ has come not only to conquer Satan, but also to conquer sin. To conquer sin through the gospel. The new king has arrived, and with him, his kingdom has arrived. The kingdom is here because the king is here, and wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. So Jesus' message is very clear. And so is our message as a church. Our message, although we may not understand everything, our message is crystal clear. Jesus has come. He's come to save, he's come to deliver, he's come to heal, he's come to restore. He's come to bring forgiveness and help to our souls. He's come to reconcile broken relationships. He's come. And it's no longer the message of John the Baptist, get ready, get ready, get ready. The, the new message is this, the kingdom has come. It's time. It's, it's time to be ready. It's inaugurated. It is, it is time to get busy. The time has come. The kingdom is near. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, we read at a similar time frame in Jesus' life. Jesus is in Nazareth, Luke chapter 4. Jesus begins to describe why he has come. 
And it says, Luke chapter 4, beginning like the middle of verse 16, it says, He stood up to read in the synagogue. In verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And Jesus begins to, to quote this scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus is basically saying that scripture is fulfilled in me because the kingdom has come. The time is right now. It's, it's time. It's not time to delay. The time is urgent. The time is present. It's right now. The time has come. And so when Jesus says something like this, that the time has come, he's not talking about clock time. He's not talking about calendar time. Those words in the Greek could be found in a word, Greek word chronos. He's talking about kairos time. Divine time. Divine moment and opportunity. The right time. Like, you know, when your, your wife is pregnant, she looks at you and she says, it's time. You're not like, what time? You're like, oh, I get it. Okay, it's clear, crystal clear. Jesus is saying it's time. The time is fulfilled. The time that we look all throughout the Old Testament and they're looking for a time that's going to come in the future where a king will come, a kingdom will be established, a, a new way of God relating to his people is going to be inaugurated. And Jesus says the time has come. He says the kingdom is near. And Jesus can say the kingdom is near because he is near. And he says his kingdom and the work of God is going to be able to take a new form and a new shape on this earth. And, and you've got to get ready. You've got to understand that it's going all around us. And the kingdom is here. Jesus is on the scene. And because Jesus is on the scene, things have changed. But listen, Jesus right here, he doesn't tell us all of what the kingdom of God is. But here's what he's saying. God is doing a work around us and the same thing is true today god is doing a work around you god is doing a work around us will we see it will we receive it and jesus says there at the end of that passage there's there's two responses then to be a part of this work of god around us he says two things repent and believe repent and believe so first of all, he says repent. Now, if you want to get and experience the kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of the work Jesus is doing, he says, first of all, you have to repent. Okay, he does not say you have to be good. He does not say you have to try harder. He doesn't say get busy, or at least look busy. He says repent. Because you see, to those who think that if they, that God will accept them if they just stop doing wrong. And to those who say, God will accept me if I just do more good things. Both of them are wrong. If I go home today from church, which I, I will not do this, um, and turn on the TV and I, f I flip through news channels. And I hit them all. I hit CNN and Fox and MSNBC and all these news channels. And I flip on them. I'm going to see people on the TV declaring how right they are and how wrong everyone else is, right? I mean, that's sort of how, how our news cycles go these days. It's all our perspective. And then anyone else who doesn't see it exactly like us, everybody else is wrong. 
And to those kind of people and, and us in those kind of personalities, Jesus says, well, here's the news that the, the ground is, is level. You're all wrong. Here's, I don't know if this is the good news you wanted today to start your new year. We're all a mess. We all carry baggage. We can come in here and dress up and, and look good and play the part, but the reality is somewhere in our lives, and if it's not in this moment, it'll be coming soon, we're a mess. And maybe it's not just our actions, maybe it's our attitudes. And, and it may not be that we're doing a bunch of wrong things, but maybe we're doing right things, but we're doing them for all the wrong reasons, with harsh, harsh motives and selfish motives deep down. Jesus says, in, in, a, in a sense, we're all a mess. But the good news is, he loves us just like we are. He loves us just like we are. And he doesn't say, if you clean up yourself, if you get your act together, then you can come to me. He, he really says, just as you are, come to me. Now, I grew up in the South in Southern Baptist culture. And I don't know if you grew up in a similar situation, but almost at the end of every single service, I can remember we would sing one song. Anybody know what it is? Just as I am. And it has 42 verses, I think. And so the pastors that were at our church, he would give an invitation. And, and that meant in our church, you had to come forward like to make it legit. God only hears you when you come forward and pray something. I don't know. I was trying to figure that out still. But we would sing like 10 verses of Just As I Am. And the pastor would look around and he's like, there's not enough people crying in this place. All right, sing it again. And so the music director would crawl out there again, their horse like I am. And sing it again. But the reality of that song, and I was just remembering, even as a young kid, I got what it was talking about. I understood, even through that song, but well, we sang it enough that I should get it, Just As I Am. God accepts me. God looks at me and he's like, if you'll come to me through Jesus, if you'll come to me not saying I've got it together, look, God, aren't you impressed with me? Look at all the good things I've done for you. If you'll come to me in repentance and say, God, I need you. God, my life's a mess. The song tells us, the scripture's full of it everywhere. God will accept us, receive us. God will welcome us. And so Jesus over and over again is preaching a message of repentance. But it's not a new message. Just take your Bible and flip to the right. And you'll see names like Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Habakkuk, Malachi. All these prophets of old. And the central message of the prophets was always the same. It was repent. Turn from your ways and turn to God. Not hide your ways and run in shame and guilt, but come to God and he will receive you with open arms. And so Jesus' message is, number one, repent. But secondly, it's believe. Repent and believe. These would be like two sides of the same coin. And now believe is not simply in my mind, checklist, oh, I've got that, I believe in you, Jesus, because Scripture also tells us even the demons believe and they tremble. They believe who God is, they know who God is in their head, but they've never received him, they've never surrendered to him. So Jesus' message is repent and believe. To turn away from our ways, our mess, us trying to fix it ourselves, and to trust who God is. 
to trust who Jesus Christ is, that His grace is enough. That when He died on a cross, He didn't die because He did wrong. He died because I did wrong. Because you have. So, at Hillside, there are some things that are crystal clear. And one of those things is always going to be, we desperately need Jesus. Jesus is our Lord, our Messiah. As we just sing in an old, old hymn, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. So that's why, like last year, in a three-month span, August, September, and October, this was a big deal around here. And in those three months alone, 90 of you said, I believe this, I've repented, I've turned from my own ways, and I want to follow Jesus in baptism. 90 people in three months making a declaration of saying, I want to go for it, I want to declare to the world, this is crystal clear. I know who Jesus is. I'm repenting of my old ways. I'm believing. Those were good days, right? I mean, those are pretty amazing days, seeing people follow. And we know that God has called us as a church to continue to say, it's crystal clear. We know who Jesus is. It's crystal clear. We know the call he has on our life. And we want to help others understand that. Others receive this. We know Jesus has given us this message and to continue to share it to the world. Verse 16, Jesus, the action continues and it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus is walking by the sea. He's seeing that, that things are going on. He, he's coming to preach his message. And the very, very first thing he does, he invites others to be a part of his kingdom. He invites others to be a part of this journey. So he sees these brothers, Simon and Andrew. And Simon is, is who we know as Peter. And they're fishermen. And they're getting ready to go back out on the lake and fish. And Jesus says a very, very simple thing to them. Come follow me. It's an invitation for them to be a part of his mission. It's an invitation of them to join in in his kingdom work, his activity, and understand what's going on. Now, we don't get this from Mark, but other places we learn, Jesus already knew these guys. These guys already knew who Jesus was. They probably heard him talk already. They probably encountered him. So it wasn't the first time, but it was a time where Jesus comes to them and says, okay, now is the time. And the kingdom has come near. So then the implications are, come follow me. And often when we see Jesus teaching, when we see Jesus doing works, there's different responses to him in scripture. Sometimes he, he says something and people believe and they immediately respond. Sometimes when Jesus says something, people are like, I don't know if I believe. I need to hear more about this later. And then others respond and they say, I don't believe this. Forget this guy. I'm going a different way. But we know that God has called us at Hillside to be a place where it's safe to have any of those responses. We don't believe that all of us are at the same place. Some of us have been around church our whole entire lives. Or some of us, like me, our whole entire lives plus negative nine months. I've been, I've been around it my whole life. I, I can't remember anything. But others of us are brand new to church, brand new to Jesus and those kind of things. And come follow me has different implications for some of us. 
So like last year, we know that, that come follow me for some of you men. For the very first time, you got up out of a green chair and you started serving. You started helping out around here. You started going to Gap Food Bank and helping out with Feed Rancho here on our campus. Or you started with the handymen's helping serve people around our community. Or you got in children's ministry or greeters, whatever. You said, all right, I've taken that first step because I believe Jesus is saying, come follow me. For others of you, we know when Jesus said to you, come follow me, you said, okay, today's the day of salvation for me. I repent and I am believing today. It's a day of salvation. Others of you, come follow me, has simply meant, I don't know if I believe this yet, but I'll come back and hear more. And I'll come back and hear more. And I'll come back and listen again. And I'll search and seek for truth and for Jesus. And I'm still trying to figure that out. And this has got to be the kind of place where it's safe to have any of those responses and any of those things that we can say, okay, I'm searching, I'm seeking, and, and Jesus will reveal to me in that time. But listen, every, every time in our lives where we say yes to Jesus' call to come follow me, it opens up a door of opportunity and possibilities to walk in a new life. And every time we say, I've been sitting in a green chair for years and years and years, but for the first time, I'm going to be a part of a Bible study. And many of you told me that out in our Wednesday night group. You said, I haven't done this. I'm taking a step. Every time we take a step, it opens up a new door of opportunities for us. But every time we say no, 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 I'm not moving. I'm not following. I'm fine right where I'm at. We just have to know. Our hearts may be hardened just a little bit. Our ears may be deafened just a little bit to his voice. And so every response, whether it's yes or whether it's no, every response has implications for our life. But Jesus is looking at these guys, and and look in the middle of that verse, because I think this is so interesting. He says in verse 17, If you'll come follow me, I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I grew up hearing this version of this passage that says, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That's what I grew up. I I heard that, and still to this day, I'm like, you'll do what? Fishers of who? And so when I was growing up, I had pastors who would talk about this passage, and they would dress up in a fishing outfit. They would have waders on, and they would throw a fishing line out into the congregation and reel it in. That didn't help. I'm still like, "I I don't get it. What are you trying to tell me? He says, I will make you fishers of men. It's it's something, it's it's just very simple. It's a metaphor. And he's saying these guys, the priority of their life had been fishing. There's a new priority that's coming. There's a change in purpose in life. Something's going to happen that's different. But also, even on a deeper level, fishing throughout the Old Testament in many places was a metaphor for judgment. For God's judgment coming, the prophets would speak in the language of fishing. Here Jesus switches the implications of the metaphor. And Jesus says, this kind of fishing is no longer about judgment. It's about rescue. It's no longer about judgment. It's about salvation. Because in the Old Testament, and, and, and let's just think practically about fishing. Fishing is... Not necessarily good news for the fish, right? 
Fishing is only good news for the fishermen. And so that's not a good enough analogy because Jesus is switching it and saying, no, no, this idea of I'll make you fishers of men, I'll send you out to fish, it's, an, it's a metaphor for salvation because the reality is to be caught by Christ is to truly be set free. And to be captured by Jesus is to be rescued. And Jesus switches the metaphor and now says, no, 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 it's not... Bad news, it's good news of salvation, of life, of hope, of joy, of peace. And I'll send you out as messengers of reconciliation. I'll send you out with a mission. And then in verse 18, their response is this. At once, they left their nets and followed him. See, this is a call to come and follow me, a call of following a life of discipleship, a call for a reprioritization of our life and of our dreams. Come follow me is this thing of saying, will you be willing to lay down your dreams to follow after my dreams for your life? I went to my very first Lakers game last Sunday night. It was ugly. <laughs> it's been ugly a lot recently. But there's this one particular point where where. Kobe was, I mean, it was last seconds. They were trying to make a comeback. Kobe hits this three-pointer with someone right in his face and swish. I mean, it was just beautiful. And I just sort of said without thinking, I used to make that shot all the time. And everybody around me was chuckling. I'm like, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I used to do that all the time. I would be on my basketball court all by myself, nobody around, last second shot, dreaming. And I would sink it. I'm like, yes, I did it. Game's over. Kobe lost it. I, would, I won it every time in my backyard by myself. But even as a little boy, I had those dreams in my heart that this is what life's going to look like. And I mean, it was easy for me. I, I, I realized I wasn't going anywhere with that. But to lay that dream down, to say, no, 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 God has a plan. That's, that's a good dream. Like as a boy, I'm like, this would be awesome if life turned out this way. This way. But to lay down that dream to say, because God has a plan that's even greater than that for my life. Even better than what I would dream about as a little boy out on the basketball court. And so when Jesus is saying, come follow me, he's saying this, I have a plan. It's even better than the plan that you're dreaming. I've got a way. And it's even better than the way you're trying to make on your own. Will you trust me? Will you repent and believe Will you come follow me? Will you say, okay, although it's still a little bit cloudy, there's one thing that's crystal clear. Your call on my life to come follow. And here's the deal. I have this little line that says, our response, and it's blank. And somebody caught me last night, and she said, hey, you didn't fill in this blank. I said, I know, you need to fill in the blank yourself. She looked at me, and I said, I, I can't tell you what your response is. Jesus is saying, come follow me. What are you supposed to do? How do you feel that blank in? See, we know the disciples, they immediately dropped their nets and they followed him. It doesn't mean that they had all the answers to every question. It doesn't mean that they understood fully all the implications of what were, was going on in that moment. It just means they simply said, yes. Yes, Jesus, to whatever you're, you're saying now, to whatever that means for my life. Yes, Jesus, I know that you know best. Years and years ago, like 20 years ago almost, I was a young guy 
and, and I decided I wanted to try to take up hunting. I mean, actually, truth be told, my girlfriend's dad was a hunter, and I wanted to be trying to get in good with the family. Anyway, so I decided to take up hunting, and so just got all the gear and all that kind of stuff and, and went out, and um, I was with a friend, and we had this incredibly large piece of land that we were going to hunt. So he takes me, and he drives way, way, way down this dirt road to nowhere and then he drops me off and he says okay get all of your stuff and then we have a trail that's marked and we were pretty smart because we didn't want to walk through the woods with a flashlight where all the animals would see us coming so we could take a little pin light and we had put reflective um, little pins at the bottom of trees so it would reflect and you could just follow the reflective trail through the woods it was a it was genius so as we uh, I'm dropped off he's like do you have everything so I'm feeling around gun check flashlight, all those kind of things. And then he just sort of backs out in pitch darkness, just following his brake lights, all the way back down this long, 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 long road. And I'm standing there in pitch darkness, can't see my hand in front of my face. And I'm like, okay, where's my flashlight? Find my flashlight, get it out. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. It's on the own position already. (laughs) This is two hours before daylight in the middle of nowhere. And I realize I don't have a flashlight. Oh, goodness. All of a sudden, there were strange noises in the woods. Things were coming to get me. And so in that moment, I said, okay, I have a few options. I can go back down the trail that we just drove up. It's, it's a wide trail. I can probably find my way, but the problem is it's dark that way too. I can sit down and do nothing for a couple of hours. Or I know the trail's in that general direction. I know that's where I'm hoping to go. I can't really find my way. It's not clear, but if I just take one step at a time, I'll at least be heading in the right direction. So, with arms loaded, backpack and everything, I decide to take one step. Another step. For an hour and a half through the woods. One step at a time. And then the sun rose and I realized I had made it 30 feet. No, I'm just kidding. A little further down the trail than that, but forward progress. A step at a time. And and some of us are at places in our lives where we just say, it's dark and I'm not quite so sure where to go or or it's cloudy and, and, and I'm just not sure what the direction is. But here, stop worrying about that. What's the one step? What's the next step? See, the Bible says in Psalm 119, it's a promise that God's word, Scripture will be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It doesn't say that it'll be a spotlight and it'll show us five years, ten years down the road. It doesn't say I'll show you step 10 and step 30. It says I'll show you the next step, that God will give us the wisdom as we seek him To know the next step. Would you be willing to say, okay, I'll seek God for the next step. I'll seek God to say, okay, I don't have it all figured out and it's still cloudy, but what do I do next? And I know there's many of you who have have told me things like, I know I probably need to start serving. Right now I'm sitting, but I know I probably need to start serving. get up. 
Just get up. Just say, hey, on info card, I know it's time for me to take a step and start serving. What can I do? How can I help? I've got a number of you who have told me throughout the last eight months, you've said things like, I really know I should start giving. I know I should start tithing. But... Let's not get to the end of another 12 months and say, all right, this year I hope I can. Why don't we just say, okay, yes. Small step forward, next step forward. I know there's some of you, you're still wrestling with who Jesus is. You're still wrestling with the implications of Scripture on your life. I'm not promising you that you'll have it all figured out tomorrow, but I'm just saying, keep seeking, keep searching. One step forward, yes, at a time. And God will lead you. God will guide you. God will show you. When our daughter was diagnosed, we realized this wouldn't be something that we get through quickly. We also realized that sometimes in suffering, God says, I'm not going to lead you around the suffering, around the pain. Sometimes God says, I'm going to lead you through it. And yes, life is hard. And yes, sometimes things are tough but I'll be with you and I'll walk you through the pain step by step by step. So we begin to remember and call upon that story of, you remember in the Old Testament, the three guys thrown in a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Our, our kids know that story really well. But it says God was in that story, but God wasn't outside the fire saying, hey guys, come on out. It says that he was what? In the fire with them. And we have a promise that he will be with us and he will lead us and that he will guide us. His Holy Spirit will direct our steps. And as we live step by step with the Spirit, God will have his way in our lives. We'll begin to experience a life that is beyond anything we've dreamt on our own. So here's the call of Jesus. Follow me. And then here's the question. What is your response? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for how scripture just tells us that your plans, your ways are higher than our ways. And God, we, we thank you that Jesus never sent mixed messages. He was always crystal clear. And the call of Jesus, as we read in a passage like this today, it demands some kind of response for us. Jesus says, repent and believe. Maybe today would be a day for some of us of repentance, of turning from sin, of, of praying for forgiveness, of saying I'm sorry, and believing that Jesus, what you have done on a cross for us is enough, that Jesus, you are enough. We believe, we trust, we embrace you. And maybe for some of us the call, come follow me, we know that one thing. We know that area of our life. And so now it's just a matter of obedience. What will we do? How will we respond? We just know that what you call us to, you will strengthen us to accomplish. What you lead us to do, you will give us the grace and you will give us the help to make it happen. 
so even in that, we believe, we trust, we look to you for help. And we pray, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.